Hello, and welcome to the Morbid Museum. We are your hosts, Katie Mead and Luke Boyd. Hi, everybody. Happy post-Thanksgiving, I guess. I hope you all had your fill of turkey and tryptophan and stuffing <laughs> and cranberry sauce. and Political arguments with political the family arguments. And you know, embracing the true meaning of a holiday that, you know, also can be a marking point of the death of so many Native peoples. And, and, um, if you can still enjoy the turkey through that, <laughs> good for you. Through um, all of the pain and trauma around Thanksgiving. It's, it is trauma giving. It oh is, my God. It's giving trauma. Oh, it's giving, <laughs> it's giving mad trauma. <laughs> If you have survived America's most complicated and unique and American holiday, um, welcome back to the Morbid Museum podcast. Yeah. Um, today's Speaking discussion of surviving, Luke. Yeah, get into it. Yeah, so today's discussion is um, doesn't do good on the reheat. It doesn't get better, you know, mm -hmm. the day or the week after. It's got to be served. Okay, so. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid. Um, we're going to be talking about Heart Island, ladies and gentlemen. Mm. Which, which is, sounds lovely, but no. which sounds like a lovely getaway, but it's actually just one of the many land masses um, connected to the city of New York, um, America's largest public cemetery. Basically, a potter's field that Katie and I have known about for a long time as New Yorkers. Um, Heart Island is one of those places that you often would hear about in lore of a final resting place of someone who maybe did a bad thing or someone who would be forgotten or destitute. Um, and like all these places, like, you know, the Creedmoor Psychiatric Facility, you know, they become places where there are watchwords for parents and children. You know, if you if you keep doing what you're doing, I'm going to, you can end up buried a hot island, you know, <laughs> and you don't want to be there. So um, it is a fascinating place. Of course, it is a the last resting place um, for the unclaimed, the unidentified, and the impoverished deceased of New York City, which is no laughing matter. Yeah. Um, and when you think about, we talk about New York all the time, such a New York-centered podcast, we often think of New York as a meat grinder. <laughs> a process, <laughs> processing plant for human tissue. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of our podcast has touched on different islands within you know archipelagos within an archipelago yeah. that is new york city in the port of new york um and there's uh people would be you know processed at ellis island coming through as immigrants they might go through governor's island as military um welfare island or blackwell's island or roosevelt island is all the same place if you had tuberculosis or different diseases you'd be offloaded from the mainland of new york and brooklyn and manhattan um to go to these other sites you got a problem? We got an island for that. We got an island for it. And it's just like, I just, if you had just landed in New York by boat out of context and you're just like, oh, Manhattan's too scary for me. Just Let's just keep paddling. And like, you just keep paddling up the East River and eventually you start to see island after island. And it's like just refuse and black soot and disgustingness. And Heart Island is at the end of that chain. Yeah. Where all of the death and the and the sanitariums and the and the prisons have you know belched out this tissue. It's hell. It's hellish up it, there. It, yeah. it ends there. So it's yeah. A city of eight million people. You know, about a million people over the whole history of New York for more than a hundred years have been buried on Hard Island. Big number, man. Staggering amount of people. Yeah, and it's right by one of my favorite places in New York. 
which is city island i love (laughs) (laughs) yes Uh, city island city island's fabulous for anybody who's a new yorker but hasn't gone that way it's delightful Katie's right. It's so the Hart Island is located off the eastern shore of the Bronx, and it's very, very close to City Island, which, as Katie mentioned, is actually a delightful place to get it's some fried, <laughs> to get some fried fish. Um, uh, sort of in the Pelhams, the Pelham Bay area of mm-hmm. of Greater New York, so it's in the nooks and crannies of the city. And you know, That's as right. long as as long as Katie and I've been alive, access to the island has been very controlled. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been in the news recently because the place has been opening up with greater access, which I'm delighted to discuss um, in the fullness of today's discussion. Um, but for those of you who've never heard of it, you know, if you look up images of Hart Island, it's a very narrow strip. It's like a mile long. It's a very small landmass, and it begs you to think of how could they possibly fit one million people there. Very similar reasons as to why people could be reburied in places like New Orleans. Um, you see a lot of ec- economy in the disposal of humans and you know their decomposition over time. Um, so it's very regimented and structured as it has yeah. been for a long time. Um, so a little bit about the site history, just to overview from the linear. Um, the original um, uh, Muncie-speaking uh, Siwanoi people lived on the island for thousands of years. Eventually, there's uh, English settlement and the American colony, and then nation is created. And it's in private hands for a long, long time. There is very little re- reference to what happens on this island. It was known as Hunter's Island for, other, for many years because of the guy the family owned it was named Hunter. Oh, I didn't never heard that before. Yeah, and there's different... Uh, there's different uh, origins of the Heart Island name. Like, there's nothing really that that sticks per se. It may have been just a derivation of the the human heart, as it was heart kind of heart. Oh, shaped. so we don't know who it's named for. No, if it's named for a, a someone. Oh, that's no. so interesting. Yeah, there's oh, not no. really any. Oh, that's really. I assumed it was a heart family. That's fascinating. No, but yeah, the English word um, for heart, um, which I can't remember what it is. Who cares? Is where that actually is where is is where it's often mentioned as, and it has an interesting translation. Um, got it. I, so it's it's kind of shaped like a seahorse in my mind. Like you've got like a, a head and like a body and a tail at the bottom. It's very thin and just you know amorphous. But nearly every inch of the island, 130 yeah. acres, is yeah. cemetery. One of the most interesting connections to our podcast within this podcast came forth in looking up the original history of this property um, during the American Civil War. The property was seized um, by the federal government uh, for use as a training area and exercise and mustering ground for the U.S. colored troops. No, oh, I'm not ready to talk about that. <laughs> so hard. The thirty first, the thirty first Infantry Regiment, um, which went on to fight at Petersburg, was trained and brought together from New York State here on Hart Island. So, of course, there was a training barracks in a hospital built on the property. And this, of course, is the other thing, folks, is that it's not only a potter's field. It was so many other things in addition to being a potter's field that created a really spooky urbex landscape on this island. And, you know, Luke, this is actually the first time on this show that we've talked about potter's fields. And I think some people might not even know what that is, if you want to just explain real quick. Yeah, so a pauper's grave or a pop or a potter's field are all the same thing. They're mm-hmm. public, they're public burial grounds where the idea is that really the local government or local entity takes responsibility for someone who is too poor to pay for their own funeral, um, or is unclaimed or is 
completely alone, abandoned. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the the actual etymology of Potter's Field is fascinating. Apparently it was where the local authorities buried Judas's silver coins Mm -hmm. in in Israel. And so they they threw them in a field where like a potter had been working, (laughs) where there was pottery shards. So that's how it's like, that's where that name actually came from. But they're very common across human civilization. Oh, yeah. And in places like New York, you would have had potter's fields in Manhattan that would be offloaded by an off-island potter's field. So it was a lot of shifting and moving of bodies. And like you were saying before, a lot of these cities were built where, you know, in the case of Manhattan, they're building north. In the case of New Orleans, they're expanding around uh, the river. And places where there was, this was out of town, becomes the center of a new neighborhood and you have to move Mm -hmm. the bodies. And so a lot of them start out as Popper's Field or Potter's Graves. You know, one of the most chilling scenes in Amadeus is when- I was just thinking of that. I was was thinking about the entire, over the arc of the New Orleans, because it's so European and like French and, you know, Interview the Vampire-y. But yes, one of our favorite movies from the 1980s, Amadeus. Adore. Uh, I mean, love affair of history, love affair of costuming, opera, pageantry, culture. And when Mozart dies, spoiler alert, he is... What? (laughs) He has this dramatic procession, but then his body is just dumped out of a box into a giant pit. And he's covered in, like, lye. Yeah, they throw lye on him and call it a fucking day. He's just rotting in a pit. Yeah. Never like it's it's just the saddest thing because he happened to be broke yes. when he died. Defe- forgetting the fact that he is one of the greatest musical geniuses to ever walk right. the face of the earth. And like, I don't know, someone paid for I think Salieri paid for the procession. <laughs> like <laughs> someone paid for the, the drama, but that only extended you 300 feet out of town and then you were dumped. And, you know, to your point, Katie, you might think that there are a lot of people who may, you know, maybe if it's the 19th century or the 18th century and I'm, you know, hundreds of miles away from my loved one and I hear of their death, by the time I actually get to claim the body, it may have been weeks since they've been buried. Right. So they could have been buried in a potter field because of a, you know, a, a time gap that someone didn't claim the body in time. And so the question is, can this person be, can they be exhumed and reinterred properly with their family? I mean, how are you going to even identify them? If it's Amadeus' situation, there's nothing. He's in like a potato it's sack. <laughs> a pile of bodies. <laughs> it's real bad. So in a hard island, there's a little more of a system that goes on, which yeah. is fascinating. And I think it all goes back to like the military precision of the property. Um, so going through the Civil War, another so such a curious element here is that there was a prisoner of war camp facility built on the property during the Civil War, and over 3,000 Confederates, 3,000 Johnny Reb Secesh SOBs, Secesh! <laughs> were quartered on Hard Island. And that's why they called it the heart of the Confederacy. <laughs> the heart <laughs> is beaten here in New York. <laughs> Appomattox. <laughs> oh, God. By the way, just so you know, Amazon wants me to watch uh, the Confederate Widow show that Luke talked to us about in the Patreon. Keep talking about it, and the Matrix will continue to suggest for you as it does. (laughs) But anyway, uh, that's crazy. 
Yes, which I which I just find so fascinating. Um, so that's all very well and good, but it becomes a cemetery not long after it's purchased by the city in 1868. In 1869, the, the city cemetery opens, and it's also called the city cemetery. So it's a public cemetery. So we talked about this a lot with the amazing cemeteries you outlined in New Orleans, which were religious. But we've also talked about the other cemeteries in New York that are more civic or public, but very but also, you know, you have to pay to get in, like Greenwood um, and Woodlawn and these beautiful cemeteries that become these Victorian landscaped gardens and things like that later on. So there's a lot of variety in how we deal with our dead, and it's all based on class, right? And that's no greater contrast here with Hard Island. So in 1869, the first burial is a woman who's named Louisa Van Slyke. She's 24 years old. Um, she dies of tuberculosis, mm. and she is received to the island from Blackwell's Island Charity Hospital. Oh, that must so, have happened a lot. Yes, and there were uh, more than 1,000 other people who were buried in Hart Island the first year that all came from Blackwell's Island. Yeah, fuck. Yeah. So the 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 trenches are filling up rather quickly, and the, the process by which people were buried was... Um, was pretty rudimentary. Um, at the same time, there were other facilities and things going on on Hart Island. It became a quarantine station for the yellow fever epidemic of 1870. <laughs> One year later, <laughs> epidemics are now, it's a, a way station for that. Can you imagine sure. being held there at that place and just seeing the burials happen like every other day, like at this, at this, <laughs> at this island? Just where am I? Is there, is there nowhere else that I could go, baby? Like, yeah. No. New and, Jersey? No. <laughs> and literally, just like Mount McGregor, just like Staten Island, a, a every generation imbues the island with a, a special meaning that's related to the most horrible, toxic, undesirable thing of the time. Mm -hmm. so, so shortly after the yellow fever epidemic, it becomes a women's insane asylum. Fantastic. Which was also called the Pavilion. Oh, well, that sounds nice. The ladies, the ladies' pavilion. Oh, I'm heading to the ladies' pavilion for the week. For the ladies who just for my mental breakdown. <laughs> the ladies' pavilion for hysteria and excessive crying. Um, <laughs> That's just my current address. <laughs> it also became a tubercularium or a tuberculosis sanitarium. Of I think course. we're just making these things up on you know these websites. Oh, like my leprosarium. <laughs> I was like, that's not a real word. I love like, it. I usually like I usually like an arium. Usually an arium. Like yeah. Terrarium. That's usually my arium. Aquarium. Yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> what I think is really interesting is that it becomes a boys reformatory in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Oh. Um a workhouse for older boys um between oh, the That's not good. Yeah, between the ages of 16 and 30. And this was an extension of the House of Refuge on Blackwell's Island. Which 16 to 30 is a range. You are not a boy anymore, you delinquent boy. Also, like, I don't need no fucking 30-year-old men around 16-year-old boys. There's a lot That's of fucking hormones. There's bad. a lot of hormones going on there. That's yeah. bad news. That's abuse waiting to happen on every level. It also uh, it also seems like Pleasure Island from Pinocchio. Like it just <laughs> but only the end. Yeah, right. Yeah. No, it's a penal colony. Yeah. I mean, 
not, not the fun part. They're not gambling. The yeah, that's where yeah. they're dropped off by the evil, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so some of the newspaper accounts of the time describe it as a reformatory for misdemeanants, which I just love. Oh, like <laughs> the word. Yes. So over 2,000 boys are housed there. In 1914, the boys are transferred, and now there's older male prisoners coming into the island and just overflow from other city jails like at Rikers Island. And it's just a lot of mixing going on. This is really tying in all of our last few episodes together. Uh, And that's what I'm saying. Like all of these places have these landscapes where it's like touched by all of this human experience and energy. And it's a lot of times the same cocktail because it's every 20 years, the same pro- a new problem comes up or a different kind of problem, and it's solved through these places. And same a large, place. anytime you have a large landscape that is refurbished numerous times, it always seems to hit these same things. Yes. It's always going to be some kind of a sanitarium at some point some sort of an insane asylum at some point some type of reformatory situation like it goes through all of the things and then it's just some sad abandoned (laughs) space that ghost hunters likes to go to (laughs) correct it becomes an urbex playground exactly Um, it's for luke at that point i mean this is the story so um (laughs) in the 20th century there's additional parallel um uses by the military it mm. becomes disciplinary barracks for various branches of the armed forces in World War II. Lordy. If you were a bad soldier, you would go to Art Island. What did you do? Apparently in the 40s, there was a German U-boat that was found off the shore of uh, oh, Long yeah, Island. Yes, there was. So yeah. those three guys were put there. And then in the 1960s, there were Nike missile bases there. Oh, good. <laughs> right. So it's like, got everything. Truly. Got nuclear warheads, like, just everything. Fantastic. Yeah. So in the midst of all of this, and, like, what I think is fair to say that for most of these for most of these headlines, every time there's a new institution, mm. there's another building or another rehabilitation of an old building or a, you know, new annex. And even through the 20th century, there were other workhouses being built, like, authorized by Ed Koch. Like, there was a lot of activity. Mm. Um That went on there. Um, The Department of Corrections takes over in the 40s. The prison closes in 1966, officially. Okay. And then after that, there's something called the Phoenix Drug House. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's called the Phoenix House, which is a drug rehab facility. (laughs) (laughs) Because the first one sounded like a club. (laughs) I mean... This is actually kind of a weird golden age for Hard Island. So apparently <laughs> this, this rehabilitation facility did really well and they would hold festivals on the island as like fundraisers for the for the rehab center and I you know I guess there were probably a couple of cool people in the 70s who had connections to musicians and stuff and they would draw like 10,000 people who would come to these festivals. No shit. Yeah. All I mean, right. they, they were only around for 10 years. So we're talking mm. like you know, 1971. Yeah, it's like very Studio 54. Like you were, you missed it. You, you missed it. Part <laughs> in the wind, you missed it. But if yeah. you were there, my God. Yeah, if you went to Freedom Land, Studio 54, and the Hard uh, Island Rehab Fairs, I got to talk to you. I need to get your whole history immediately. Ooh, freedom, Freedom Land, coming soon, please. <laughs> Finally, you've been teasing that for a year and a half. <laughs> literally it's not that morbid it's just stupid like (laughs) maybe it's a good patreon we should do it for patreon sure (laughs) 
Absolutely. What I also think is fascinating is that this is this part. I there was really one line about in a source, and I couldn't find any follow up. Mm. The prison was reopened <gasps> from 1982 to 1991. Really? Yes. So during our lifetime during out so you know this is like Koch era but it's also like giuliani era yeah you're getting into giuliani you're getting into yeah. cleanup time you're getting into the the spickable and the pourable being picked up off the streets the spickable pourable yeah. <laughs> cleaning up the mafia like, oh, hold on, going on mine. um so there's the not mafia. much known about that but all in all since 1869 there's been mass burials happening at the property too and that's really the, the big story to talk about yeah the bodies so, yeah um so in 1875, uh, just like there was a grid system employed in Manhattan, mm -hmm. a grid system was established on Hard Island. And so you have the you have these long trenches where you have people buried in wooden pine boxes, and they're buried three deep, is usually it, so three stories deep. And it's in these rows of 50 or 100 or 150 um, at a time. Um, and the idea is there's no embalming. So that Gross. the graves can be, you know, in a simple pine box, the graves can be reused within 25 or 50 years. Oh, yeah. So same kind of vibe. Recycling. <laughs> Correct. Yes. The vapors, the miasma, the um, everything. Um, in the 1880s, the New York Times described Heart Island as such, the Greenwood of the Five Points. Is it, though? <laughs> Isn't that an incredible Insult. It is. It is. <laughs> right. It's an insult to Greenwood. And, you know, I guess it's an upgrade for anybody who lived through the five points. Oh, sure. Five points. But, of course, we talked about the gangs of New York and the five points and how that was, a, you know, literally collect pond cesspool of crime and filth and debauchery and, and sadness and poverty. And poverty. Yeah. And that uh, Greenwood is where all the Richies get buried in Brooklyn. And so this is where you end up if you're a, a, a despicable person, a degenerate, um, you know, or. Uh, or just the crime of being poor. The crime of being poor, the crime of dying in an epidemic. You know, mm -hmm. it's these aren't people who deserve any, no one deserves this, arguably. Yeah. I don't know if you're going to get into it, but I can't imagine what happened to that island during the flu epidemic. Yeah. So for any major public health event, a lot, a lot of the, a lot of people were buried in Hard Island as a, as a part of that. So, yeah. the 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 flu epidemic of 1918 is not mentioned in the sources I've no. seen, mm. um, unfortunately. Um, but we know that with a huge influx of population in the 20th century, the immigration, just more and more of a demand for these kinds of burials, you know, and. In the Gilded Age, as we've talked about, people being on the wrong side of that coin economically, yeah. um, living in squalid conditions, you know, was exposed by our hero, Jacob Reese, in his book, How the Other Half Lives. Love you. Love your beach. Love, love you. his photography. <laughs> love his glasses. <laughs> love his photography, you know, that shows you just people living as they did in the darkness. I mean, and I didn't realize that he often would, would actually shoot a gun like to like get the flash that he got in his photos and it's usually people and they're all asleep it's so obvious when you look at his photos it's these black and white photos and they're kind of like out of focus and like horrible and it's a lot of people like in a room with like the covers up to their nose like turning up like looking like what the hell is that flash like it's clearly black inside the room and he's like get up assholes crying and like takes a picture and like leaves like it's just like <laughs> Listen, I'm going to help you, but first I'm going to traumatize you. You need to expose your story, but I am going to, um, you know. I'm your children to, will never sleep. I'm going to exploit you and traumatize yeah, yeah, yeah. you. Yeah. I hope that's okay. Well, that's fine. So 
Jacob Reese's last stop after going through the slums of Manhattan was to end up, he went to Hart Island and he took pictures of the process because mm. since the 1880s, really, prisoners would conduct the burials. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So the Department of Corrections, of course, was taking was 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 responsible for it. But what they would do is they would have Blackwell, uh, they would have inmates from Blackwell Penitentiary come over on a boat, they come over to the island, they process the bodies, you know, from these steamships, and they would bury them from there. And Jacob Reese thought this process was just horrible and yeah. just a real wretched way for people to go, you know, in this gleaming city of light, um, just like a final insult, um, you know, in their life story. So the city's expanding. We're going through the, uh, the the 1940s and 50s. There's now, by 1958, there's half a million people estimated to be buried on Hard Island. So many people. And it hasn't even been 100 years. Right, right. Barely 100 years yet. Um, Jesus. The story that gets a lot of attention with Hard Island is that of AIDS victims. So the first yeah. AIDS victims in New York, which are among the most you know prominent in the global story of AIDS, uh, are buried there starting in 1984-85. Um, and in fact, the first um, the first child to die of AIDS is actually buried <gasps> on Hard Island. That is awful. That's so fucking sad. We have the kid's name. No, I don't have that here, but it has a it's a concrete marker that reads SC, meaning special child, and B1, baby one, 1985. Oh. So I don't oh. know if this is documented on the Heart Island um, project, which we will um, talk about. Okay. Um, so this that story is often told and retold. Um, and I think you know that story was a way of exposing to the world the dangers and the reach of AIDS. Um, yeah, because it was such a stigmatized thing. And so, you know, ex you know, talking about the story of children in that story, which was so often overlooked and misunderstood, um, is massive. Yeah. And another thing that's mentioned in that story is that the way in which those victims were buried, they were buried 14 feet in the ground. Yeah. So there was a lot of misunderstanding and fear of the unknown and thinking that the disease could be, is it airborne? How is it going to, you know, yeah. decompose? And so they just buried them down super deep. Um, but eventually thousands would be buried there all succumbing yeah. uh, of AIDS. And you have it's, people who have, you know, left fled their life from Wisconsin and have no next of kin. Their family right. disowned them. You know? When you think about what so much of the gay population in New York consists of, it's it's runaways. It's people who have have abandoned everyone so that they can be their authentic self. So yeah, absolutely that makes sense. And right. it's it's so it's so devastating and easy for us to like sit here and make fun of, you know, 19th century doctors for their heinous theories on disease and spread and things like that, but mm -hmm. we do it repeatedly right. throughout history. I mean, we did it with COVID, we do we do it constantly when we just don't know what the thing is. And unfortunately, our instinct is to go so far in the direction of crazy. And also with AIDS, it was just so easy, just another reason to discriminate. You know, it was just and it it was the perfect way to further demonize a population of people. Right. And someone who was living under a bridge because they were a veteran and, you know, ended up becoming consumed by drink or someone who was gay and died of AIDS was reifying stereotypes that were so deeply entrenched mm -hmm. that this injustice was in league with a lifetime of 
yeah insult you made your, you made your choices yeah and That's I think, you. and I think the 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 reaching out to Heart Island that's going on right now in our society is speaking to that, you know, our changing attitude of death and memorialization, you know, which is so uplifting and heart wrenching. And as we say, it's the hard work, you know, um, it is trying and, to make peace. And I think this also speaks to, um, you know, again, like our very puritanical society we are equal parts squeamish about sex and death yes <laughs> and yeah. both are very much integral to life so we i think you're right luke that's a great observation that we are finding ways to be more comfortable because it's important and especially when it comes to honoring people who have been so dishonored in this kind of a way it's dreadful Yes, I think, you know, for as much as we think all these things are horrible, it's like I think we find we have increasing capacity to to deal with all of this. Like think of yeah. how many, you know, think of, of, of way, the way our, you know, sort of civic calendar is structured around Remembrance Days and Heritage Months. Mm -hmm. And like usually that comes with the reckoning of of mass death, of a genocide, of a war crime, of terrorism or whatever it is. And, you know, <laughs> you, Happy you, Thanksgiving! Exactly! Exactly! <laughs> and yet here we are. So the city is growing and it's invisible, to your point. it's The island is covered by fog. We yeah. can't get there. You and I can't go there. No. It's not a public-facing space. We're paying for it in terms of tax dollars. We're paying for the burials that are processed by the Department of Corrections. It means a city burial means the city pays your way. It's the it's the basic city service that we it's the basic on. package. Yeah, and so it's just it's um, it's the throw it's you in a good. whole package. Yeah. yeah, and so about a thousand to fifteen hundred burials would happen usually every year like through, modern, oh through the God. modern era. Um, and in 2006, the Heart Island is like the perennial muse of journalists, you know, of all types, high and low. Um, and the New York Times reported in 2006 that in um, in that year, there were 1,419 burials. Wow. Um, 826 were adults. 546 were infants and stillborn babies. And 47 were dismembered body parts. Oh my God. So again, the hard work of the office of the chief medical examiner and the healthcare facilities and, um, and uh, first responder agencies of New York, you know, deal with this level of volume and the number of infants mm -hmm. is shocking. The number of infants is disturbing. Mm -hmm. Like still who would, why would my stillborn child have to go there simply because I can't afford to bury them. That is. Yeah. It's like Dickensian level. And so mm -hmm. there, there may be, there may be a there there that I will uh, get to in a moment, but, and oh. that's on the subject of, of <laughs> that's on the subject of identification. Okay. Yeah. So at a but certain when you point, say, sorry, Luke, when yeah. you say body parts, I'm assuming this is like crime scene shit. Jane Doe, mm -hmm. no idea who this is, who it mm -hmm. belonged to. Mm -hmm. Zero leads ever going to come on this. So got to get rid of it. Yes. Crazy. So from the OCME's perspective, like 47 or, you know, what could be up to 47 different people. Fucking Christ. Um, so when these boxes are processed and there's apparently seven different categories of coffin, this is like so morbid. It's just, again, it's disgusting, we are in it. <laughs> disgusting to think about, but I'm like, well, let's, uh, 
We're going to do show. it. Let's, Let's put it on the show. So each box, each pine this box. This is real season two shit, Luke. <laughs> this is beyond Carcosa. Okay. So each box is labeled with an ID number, which reveals the person's age, ethnicity, um, the place where the body was found, if possible, like a borough code. Um, and... Uh, but again, those numbers are only going to live for so long right. um, on the, the pine boxes themselves. Are those numbers then transposed other places? Um, we don't really know. But we know that for many years, the prisoners from Rikers Island who would come to do the burials were paid just 50 cents an hour to bury the dead. So you're not going to give it your best. And accounts of it from Jacob Reese on down reveal like a very slapdash. Um, not a very, not a very not a very dignified job. I would imagine. Um, apparently there were two steamships in the early years called hope and fidelity that would pick up the bodies from all the other islands across New York. And they, many of these places like facilities, like penitentiaries and, and asylums had a, like a dead house where they would keep their dead in a pier and they would put those bodies into a chute that would just go down to the next dock where the steamship could, pick up the body and so the body's just sloshing around in this pine box until it's finally dropped into a pit on hard island in the middle of the you know a sunlit day mm. and just the fact that who's doing it like the people who are you know being held by the society and now dealing with everyone who's dying in that society you know yeah. and it's just that the, the juxtaposition of those two populations coming together is difficult yeah, no kidding. Um, so an interesting thing happens in just a few years ago. So there were three different times where there was so much fighting for Heart Island that started in like the 80s and 90s where people were trying to raise awareness, get, you know, the, the city agencies to tell more about how to, you know, how to identify people. Um, because what they were finding was um, many of these mothers who uh, had their babies buried in a moment of duress, as their as their as their baby had just you know died, um, they are asked by an investigator, "Do you want a city burial?" And many of the mothers simply said yes, uh, either because it was uh, a language barrier, or they were exhausted, or they weren't supported, and they didn't know what it meant. It could have just meant they thought, be "Oh, the city's going right? to the city's going to pay for it," or, the, or you want to be buried in the city. Sure, of course, I want a city burial, and I just want to say again. With what we talked about in the New Orleans episode, thank God for benevolent societies because mm -hmm. that they are actually trying to do it in a yes. dignified and respectful way. So this is a nightmare, truly. Yeah. So there were um, many of these burials were uh, questioned. Um and there was an investigation going into the handling of infant burials that was opened into a, a response to a criminal complaint in 2009. Oh no! Yeah, so there was a large swath of these pop of this population for Lord knows how long who were dealing with this same inquiry um, mm -hmm. and were maybe maybe giving the wrong answer, and thus their loved one was put into a pauper's grave. There is an average of 72 disinterments. Uh, in the late years of the early aughts, like 2007 to 2009. Okay. Um, so it's children who are rarely disinterred. But regulations stipulate that the coffins generally must remain untouched for 25 years, except in cases of disinterment. So the disinterment okay. has been really aided by things like DNA, um, photographs, sure. and photographs and fingerprints, which are now being kept by the OCME. And so again, it may be that your loved one dies years ago, and maybe it's the, the, the grandson or the son or the daughter of that, of that 
that person or long lost relative to who DNA they can they can find a match and make a disinterment. So that's like a miraculous thing that rarely happens, but it, it is being recorded. Well, because there has to I mean, there's a lot of anonymity in this yes. site as well. There's a lot mm-hmm. of unknown people. Yes. So if you happen to even know who your loved one is, that's almost like a miracle, I feel like. Yes. And the stories collected of some of these people who track down their loved ones who, you know, they know they died 30 years ago, but they find out where they went um, mm-hmm. is really empowering. And so the digital age has kind of cracked open a lot of this. And there's been a Amazing. lot of new Yeah, a lot of new work in archiving. But so to um to that end, I want to talk a little bit about what we often talk about in these kinds of things, which is the notables. So there's only a few notables that would come through this this story, but they're so fascinating to me. Um, one of them is Dawn Powell, who was a fiction writer who I had not heard about at all. She's like an un- she's, a, she's a forgotten figure of the early 20th century. She gets nestled into like the beatniks of Greenwich Village. Oh, um, she knows Ernest Hemingway. She knows she has all these writer friends. She writes 13 novels. What? She has a she has a wonderful career, like, and it's all about city life. She has this diary for like 40 years, all about her drinking and and like having hot sex and like she's like a cool bitch but she never had money god damn it like any like many new yorkers lived way beyond her means that's such a relatable story for me yes top to bottom and so she dies in 1965 and she donates her body to science but ends up being buried at heart island what the fuck (sighs) So for this NPR story, they interviewed Fran Lebowitz, who, of course, is a huge Don Powell stan. <laughs> and of course she is. And it's like, look, for me, this is great, you know, because Don Powell, she didn't have any money. She's we got to work on your Fran impression. She was like, she didn't care. She didn't care where her body went. As long as the city paid for her, they paid for her ride. That was the last big fuck you to New York. And I was just like, that's hot. That's that's amazing. Um Good for her. One I was shocked. One I was shocked to learn of a few months ago was Bobby Driscoll, which <gasps> yes, Disney, Disney star Bobby Driscoll, aka Hawkins, Jimmy Hawkins from Treasure Island in 1950, and the voice of Peter Pan in 1953, dies of a drug overdose in 1968 what? in his East Village tenement and was buried in Hart Island because his body could not be identified in a timely fashion. No one claimed his body in time, and he was buried on Hart Island. Describe my face right now. Jaw dropped because same reaction I had. I was like, the baby Bobby Driscoll. I charmed his way into our hearts via television 50 years later. I loved him as a He was so cute. Oh, my God. He was so cute. Horrifying. That's a horrifying end. And for yeah. someone in no one who ever does anything for Disney should end up in a pauper's grave. <laughs> Horrible story. Horrible. So sad. So oh sad. God. So it's like the high and low. Um, and uh, so there's not much that's not many other notable folks who come out, but the idea is that it's very it's social history. It's it's the everyday yeah. folk who are there. Um, and one of the heroes of the of Hart Island's kind of transformation in the public consciousness is a photographer, an artist named Melinda Hunt, who founded the Hart Island Project in 1994. So she was another one who did a lot of like urbex photography in the 90s with her co-writer. They wrote this amazing book about Hart Island. And then she started this project where she wanted to raise awareness about the island because you couldn't, you could only get there if you had to do this lengthy process with the Department of Corrections. Now, 
If you've mm. ever been to a prison, which I have not in the modern sense, I've been to every historic prison I can find, but I have not. <laughs> I've been, never been to a, a modern. I have not been to a live prison or a jail. Okay. You for what? It's like anything else. It seems to irk and scare and terrify me. Right. Um, I have it's no too much. To it's too much. The state is too pres too too heavy there. Mm. It was just like when we went to Grant's cottage. Like when you we both went three weeks within each other. How it was like. Yeah, it's really amazing how the islands uh, visitation has improved since the jail closed. I'm like, yeah shocking goy because i'm like tucking away my bowl like as i'm driving through the prison like <laughs> gate to get to grant's deaf house like come on yeah so um you have to go through the doc you have to prove connection to a loved one usually mm. you have to be connected and what they would do is they would review your case they you you'd get on the boat there'd be like one or two tours a month and this is going back a long time like from the bowery boy days early podcast we listened to oh. about new york you know they talk about it like yeah hard on you can only go there once or twice a month if you get, but you got to do all these things to get there and then what they would do is they would escort you to the plot that you had requested to see so like oh, okay, wow. here b124 are you good because you're getting back on the boat in 10 minutes. You can't like light a candle. You can't like congregate. Just gross. Like not how you want to have your cemetery experience. Like think about the work no. you did at the memorial. And how oh my the God. whole place was the veneration. There was no beginning and end to the veneration. Even if their name was there or their objects of their loved ones were there. It wasn't like, well, okay, you can come here. But you can't go. <laughs> Move it along. Yeah, you saw the name. Uh-huh. Like, you know. But that's that's the agency that was very ill-equipped to deal with the human side of that, the living side of it. Yeah, yeah, Ooh. which is sad. So Melinda but Hunt is like, this sucks. <laughs> this really sucks. Fucking <laughs> blows. I hate this. I hate it. And so she's working on this project since for like thirty years, and she's been doing great work. She has a that's fully, amazing. Fully fledged database now. I have to like, check it out. I have not really explored it. Hard Island, Hardisland.net. Um, Ooh, she dot netted, huh? Couldn't get an org. I actually love the vintage domain name. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so apparently in 2008, um, the Hard Island Project um, put in a FOIA request, a freedom information request, and they requested 50,000 burial records from the Department of Corrections. And since 2009, all burial records are shared directly with Hart Island Project. And one of, the things, one of the things Melinda talks about is she says, well, there's a huge, there's records missing. There's decades missing. Like six, like 1962 to 1976 is missing because there was a fire and there were no copies. You know, there's other records oh. missing in other periods. And she said, look, at the very least, we're providing a carbon copy of all these records. Like if even the, sh the shit all burns down, it's going to be on the website. So are you on the website now? I'm looking at, yeah, I'm it's browsing. Fascinating. So it's actually it's a website, first of all. It's a beautiful website. And it reminds me a lot of the memorial name finder from September 11th and like does. the interactive yeah. kind of interface of that. But it's so stripped down in terms of the information. But yeah. like a lot of crowdsource initiatives, people can share stories of loved ones and attach them if they have a known name or if they you know if they have any information attached people can upload memories they can um add to I their profile that. they can donate to the the project um it's really really quite something so that's all going on as the stewardship of hard island shifts so melinda hunt and others were 
the like the City Island Historical Society and Melinda mm-hmm. worked together and they lobbied the legislation, legislators, the legislature, <laughs> legislature sure. in Albany to um, cede, uh, actually might have been the city council, to uh, to cede Hart Island to the Parks Department, which they did. Amazing. Because that's who should have it. Yeah. Yes. So that's quite obvious. 2019. <laughs> what happens after 2019? Wait a minute. Rutrow. <laughs> Rutrow. So COVID-19 hits and Hard Island is at the center of the action again, where over 2,000 people a year are buried at Hard Island during the COVID-19 pandemic. <sighs> so a lot of folks who are older, who live alone, yeah. um, who, you know, are your classic New York City kind of personalities. Um, you know, Last one living in their family. Oh yeah, the person you see on the train for like twenty years. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've had I've lived in the same apartment for fifty uh, years for two hundred dollars uh-huh. a month. Right. <laughs> or I was a Nobel laureate and now I'm homeless. Like um, you know, incredible stories of, of sanity. Yeah, and that's the other thing is that people always say it's like every one of these pine boxes, whether you know, they all represent a story and a wish and a dream and an aspiration, and you know, no one aspired Urban. to be here. No, no. So, of course, these public projects are so energizing, but they're also very demoralizing because it takes years for them to come into effect. So the Parks Department takes over in 2019, but they didn't change to, to private burial teams until 2020. So damn it. So they still had inmates doing it through the most, a, lot, damn it. a lot of the pandemic. So 2021, they had private crews and private crews do the burials to this day. Thank you. Yeah, that's over. The 50 cents an hour burying the COVID dead was like the biggest, like, you know, okay, we're done now. And but so recent. Yeah. Like a minute ago. A minute ago. And they're working really hard to figure out what the hell they're going to do with it. There's all these ideas about transportation. How are we going to get there systemically between bus shuttles and ferry services? And what is the texture of the island going to be? You know, so what they've kind of ruled out is like, it's not going to be a traditional type park. Improvements are going to be made. But what really breaks my heart is there was $3 million was spent in 2021 to demolish more than 15 buildings on the island. Oh. And so a lot of these treasures, I would argue, had been there since, like, a lot of them were wooden structures, brick. Like, again, from every generation of building back to the Civil War, they were traced oh, all of them. No. And they were all beautifully decrepit. I mean, you know. I mean, was that the problem, though? Course. Like, they were... On they the verge of being condemned. Right. They, the only thing they can do is safely destroy them. You know, you can't have a yeah. stabilized ruin like Eastern State. It's not that stable. No. <laughs> Unfortunately. But I just yeah, and obviously, hate, hate to see it. Well, but obviously the priority of the island is the individuals who are buried there. So yes. sadly, the buildings have to take a hit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I liked it when it was both. Um, I know. <laughs> And Hard Island's been in the news again because as of 2023, access is now open to the park. Amazing. Incredibly. Never thought I'd see the day. No. I personally never wanted to go because it just, you know, it's one of those things. Like, honestly, I could say as as a native city person, nobody talks about it. Like, like you were saying, the taboo of it, like the icky factor of it. Mm-hmm. And then once you do learn about it, it's like, well, you don't want to go to that island. It's fucking horrible there. But now that it's, I don't know, that it, the idea of who is there, who has been interred there, frankly, like, without their consent, if we're mm-hmm. being real. Yeah, I, I feel more of an obligation to go, you know? Yeah, 
there was a uh, touchstone memorial that was dedicated at the tail end of the pandemic for all global pandemic um, victims. Mm. Um, and so I think more gestures like that will probably dot the landscape, you know, memory making and things yeah. like that, memorials, which you and I are both passionate about. So this idea of, you know, bearing witness in this big way is, is a new exercise that <laughs> enough people, it seems, uh, wanted to see happen. And so now what happens is on Select Tuesdays, Okay. You can visit Hard Island with a park t- with a tour led by a uh, urban park ranger. So a city park ranger mm-hmm. will give you a tour. I looked at the website. Um, you know, lovingly confusing as hell. NYC.gov. And <laughs> always <laughs> like it's circular, very circular. Um, and so mm-hmm. basically, what you do is you you register for the free tour, but it's you get drawn by lottery to go. So they've made it like a Broadway oh. show. Where <laughs> <laughs> well, I had my choice. I could either well, see, Mother I could I... see Sweeney Todd tonight or I could go to Hard Island. Mother and I went to Hard Island last week. Fantastic. <laughs> we had a lovely dinner before. Yes, we could smell the fried chicken from City Island with fried fish. <laughs> yeah. We had lobster rolls and then we saw a bunch of dead people. Yeah. So I would recommend that everybody check out um, hardisland.net. Um, there's Great a Great website. Oh, really? I love fantastic. it. Fantastic. She got Can a huge grant. You? They got a huge oh my grant God. for it. Yeah. When I was just, I'm just like briefly shuffling through while, while I'm listening to you and the loneliness in a beautiful place, AIDS burials on Heart Island web series. I am watching that. Yeah. That sounds wonderful. Oh my God. I you would, won't be forgotten. I would also recommend the Radio Diaries podcast, Ooh. which is part of NPR. And mm. they have the unmarked graveyard series about the unclaimed and forgotten buried on Heart Island. <gasps> And so I love this, Luke. I love that you did this the week after I'm talking about like (laughs) cemeteries you can't afford to be buried in. (laughs) This is the most democratic version. You've got drone footage. And, you know, of course, uh, I I, so I watched this public program they had at the New York Public Library last month on this, Mm -hmm. which is again, this is all very like museum y COVID now where you're just watching old programs. And, um, and Melinda Hunt was saying, like, oh, you know, we got this guy to do the drone footage, and he worked for the military. And so you technically you can't launch a drone in New York City. But she's like, but Hard but Hard Island is right next to Nassau County by boat. So we just took our boat into Nassau County and launched the drone and then flew the drone over Hard oh, Island, yeah. which is totally like, legal. <laughs> like where I lived before when I was living in Port Washington, it's I was so closer close to, to there. I was closer to Hard Island than I was to you. <laughs> yes, you're very close to you're very close to Hard Island there. I know I that was, whole yeah. our, that whole um geography there is is uh it, Yeah, cuz it's Sands Point, a little bit of Manhasset Bay. And yeah. then Hard Island. Yeah, right. it's right there. And Orchard Beach is just north of City Island, which was mm-hmm. a pub, you know, very, very highly trafficked public beach still is. Um, yeah. One of Robert Moses's treasures. So it's a fascinating story. And it's hard to do it justice because you've got a million stories. And we only gave names of a few. And its story has kind of just begun now because it's going to have this whole new chapter, which is phenomenal. Yeah. And just building the awareness and like holding people to accountable. Um, yeah. You know, because I think for years it was like, yes, it makes sense in the in the human processing of a place like New York. There's going to be so much, you know, coming and going. And like you said, the population is refreshed constantly by newcomers with a new yeah. dream. And many of them come and get, you know, eaten up in that and processed through. Um, and then the idea that 
there's dignity in all those lives is like, yeah. is like, you know, arguably I think coming full circle with a city that's more gentrified and, and, and softer and more low crime than it, than it was before. There's a new consciousness there, you know, where, you know, that, that yeah. the white heat of that competition, you know, tell that to Fox news. <laughs> I mean, right. New York has a heart. I guess it does. Mm. Art Island. Um, <laughs> Awful. <laughs> And a but, finger, no. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> but you know, all kidding aside, uh, it's a great resource. It's I'm so excited to have the chance to go now. And oh just, my god, it's, it's almost too much. It's it's like it's it's the Mac Daddy of Urbex. It really is. It really it's is so exclusive, and it was so hard to even think about getting there. And it was always the thing I was like, oh, yeah, someday I'll like. I'll do the homework and I'll, I'll get to Hard Island like man, just just to say I did it, you know, and like to put spike the football, you know. But well, I feel like I uh, I will go with you. <laughs> I think I think we need to, you know, take a microphone and go. Yeah, take a microphone, block out some Tuesdays, and hope for the best. <laughs> I may not be at work on this Tuesday or the Tuesday in three weeks from now. <laughs> It depends. Um, the lottery drawing we'll is tomorrow at midnight. I'll be up. How do you feel about me bringing my four-year-old? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so, She'd be so fun. She'd have a great time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like I said, it's a full day with City Hall Museum. You know, we can triangulate, you know, go to Fort Totten, you know. just There's so many good places to go. Yes, it's true. Mm -hmm. um, but thank you so much for taking this journey with me. Um Thank you for taking us on this journey, on this archipelago, as we are often traveling on the island of New York. Uh, but I really love that you chose to do this right after the NOLA series because there's so much, obviously there's so much overlap mm -hmm. in terms of the role that um, disease will play in cityscapes. Yes. We are, we are so vulnerable to... Oh my God, these massive pandemics, epidemics, just because we're on top of each other, it's unavoidable. It just yes. is. But then it's, then where do you go from there? How do you handle the death? Yes. And at what point do you have a responsibility as a city to not just protect your citizens from the infection itself and from possibly dying, but then People are going to die. So then what are you going to do? Right. It's that memory impulse, which is not often built into the city psyche that, like I think we've been saying, it, we're in an upswing, you know? Yeah. Where I mean, we, we saw it, Luke, when we were working at the memorial. When I, when I was working on the community affairs side of things, people would be calling all the time to talk about starting memorials. When in the time that we were working mm -hmm. there, unfortunately, was the Orlando shooting, mm -hmm. and we were like one of the first calls where they were like, "How do we do this?" Same thing with Paris. Paris also happened when we were working there, and we had a huge meeting with people from there, where we literally had like translators and stuff come to the museum, and we had meetings. So it's this memorialization movement. Mm. Oh, strong now. And isn't that interesting that, you know, I was just saying out of one hand that the city is getting softer and more gentrified, but isn't it true that the the mall in Minnesota 
is just as unsafe as the city was in 1980. Like the mass shootings, the, the violence, the trauma, it's cutting both ways. It does, which is why, like, we have to be kinder, mm-hmm. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? I think we shouldn't have to have this many fucking memorials. And we wouldn't think of any of those honored dead from, like, a Sandy Hook or something like that being treated in the way of the people who die from violent acts in places like New York and are just no. disposed of because of a sense of volume and a sense of unremembering anonymity that's built into the city, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but a child born in poverty is no less deserving of a decent burial and memorial than a child who was killed at Sandy Hook. Exactly. Because they did nothing to deserve that. Right. And that's the thing something Jacob brings up is the choice. You know, yeah. no one would choose this. They wouldn't have chosen their lives to be that no. way in the case of the very poor or how they ended or where they ended up. So, um, you know. Oh, I got chills. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and... Another factoid about the expansion of the island, which was great. Yes. In the 1880s, part of the island was filled in. And, um, of course, they used garbage to fill it in. So, <laughs> and apparently, <laughs> the evidence for this. We love a trash island We love a trash York. island, right. So, right. Coming back to Dead Horse Bay, on the shoreline of um, Hard Island, you can find a lot of glass and pottery shards. Oh, same thing? And it's all 1880s trash heap. So it's just, again, a perfect metaphor for the landscape of the city. Um, All right, we got another trash comment. Another another tie-in. Here you go. Get your trash comment to hit Hard (laughs) Island as well. No nuclear waste, though, as far as we know. The Nike missile was taken care of. Yeah, I just have to ask, like, as a general question to our fan base who's been with us for a while, do you guys want a sweatshirt with a trash comment on it? Because I think that we (laughs) maybe need to do that. (laughs) How about a sweatshirt that glows in the dark because it's been radiated? (laughs) (laughs) Oppenheimer edition. More buddy. I think about the trash comment more than I should. I I love that. I think about it. All the time. <laughs> the conjunction of the trash comments. <laughs> the conjunction of the spheres. Oh, amazing. Luke, thank you so much. What a phenomenal story. So important. And I hope I hope we get to go. It's very exciting. I hope we get to go. I hope you enjoy the rest of your peas and your turnips and your mashed potatoes and your <laughs> stuffing. And we'll see you next time, folks. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Morbid Museum Podcast. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Get the latest on Instagram and TikTok at The Morbid Museum. Get in touch with us at themorbidmuseum at gmail.com. Consider becoming a supporter of our podcast by joining us on Patreon. Become an official Morbuddy today. As always, we'd like to send an extra special thank you to all our Patreon listeners. Without you, none of this would be possible. In particular, we'd like to send big, extra, huge thanks to our More Bestie for Life tier buddies, Dennis Barrett, Haley Lamp, and Tristan Pearson. Thank you so much. We love you guys. Until next time, we'll see you for another gallery talk inside the Morbid Museum podcast. Bye. Bye.